This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. When I found out I was going to be a parent, I immediately felt a lot of anxiety and worry. So I went on to BetterHelp to try to look for a therapist to help me with that. My relationship with my family and with my boyfriend and with myself were suffering. I really needed help. I was ruminating a lot. Really getting those thoughts out to a therapist and getting feedback was just life-changing. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show, live on Sirius XM Channel 111 every weekday at noon East. Hey everyone, I'm Megyn Kelly. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show, live from the University of Alabama. We are here in the spin room, where right next door on the debate stage in just a few hours, four GOP candidates for president will go head-to-head in the final GOP debate of 2023 and maybe of the entire presidential cycle. We're showing you the spin room here. Right now it's empty because the media hasn't arrived in droves, but they'll be here shortly. And uh, when I come to you later on tonight, post the debate, because we'll be doing a live show right here, it's going to be jam-packed. Going to have to have the headphones on. It gets crazy and it's fun and it's a very unique event. I hope you will share it with us. Uh, I'm going to of course, going to be one of the co-moderators, as I've told you, along with News Nation's Elizabeth Vargas and one of our favorite EJs, Free Beacon editor Eliana Johnson. That's fun, right? It's live at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central. I have to remember this for my getting ready purposes. 7 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Uh, the 8 p.m. Eastern on News Nation. Now, News Nation is a startup cable channel that's trying to be sort of down the middle on its programming, not go too far right, not go too far left. But it's a startup, so you may not even know where it is on your cable channel. If you would like to figure that out so you can watch the debate, go to joinnn.com, and that'll tell you where your channel is on your cable. Okay, joinnn.com. You can also listen to the debate live on Sirius XM Triumph Channel 111, where we broadcast from every day live. And it will be streaming on Rumble as well. So we got you covered Make sure you tune in. Check it out. Believe me, it's going to be good. So excited for all of you to join us. And um, I also want to tell you again a little bit more about our post-debate spin room special. We're going to come right over here, right after the debate. And this will be my very first reaction to what we just witnessed. Um, I'll tell you everything I thought, how I thought the candidates did, what went into those questions we were doing. And uh, we'll actually be interviewing some of the candidates right here live. So that actually could be a little awkward. (laughs) because <laughs> we've got some tough questions for them and we'll see. We'll see who's willing to show up and talk about what just happened on the stage, uh, who's man or woman enough to do it and who isn't. Hmm, stand by. We're also going to have analysis from the other EJ, Emily Jashinsky, Michael Moynihan, Tom Bevan, and uh, all the rest of it. You're not going to want to miss it. But we want to start today with the news. Joining me in just a few, we're going to have Stu Bergier and Dave Marcus, but we begin with my pal and Eliana's co-host, of the Ink Stained Wretches podcast, Chris Steyerwald. He's with News Nation now, and he's with me on set. This is a big year. 
The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Nice to see you, my friend. Do you want me to do the effusive praise for you at the beginning, or are you going to make me save it? When do you want me to make you no uncomfortable? No effusive praise for me. No, I don't I'm, want It's going to happen. It no. has to happen because I ha what people have to understand is this is a different kind of journalism than any other. It, it is unique, right? And the things that I like to do in the news business, uh, call elections, uh, forecast elections, and do debates are weird because you're making news. The news organization is actually making news. So it takes an extraordinary amount of poise, preparation, professionalism, and diligence. And America should know, no one is better at this than you. The amount of time and effort that you put into it and the way that you do it and your incisive legal mind is just, it's just a pleasure to work with you again. I enjoy it enormously. Thank you, Starwell. Right back at you. I mean, it's been, people don't realize how much work, at least for us. Because oh. Starwalt, uh, Bill Salmon and I, along with Brett Baer and Chris Wallace, that was the debate team. That was the dream team that did all those debates in 2012 and 2016. We, the, the gang was together. And, and uh, you know, in 2020, we didn't have Republican debates. And so all those tough questions that, you know, made news in good ways and bad ways, but that was all us. Everybody's weighing in together and, and we've got the gang back together. Not Chris and Brett, of course, because they're at different networks, but Steyerwalt and Salmon and yours truly, along with Eliana and Elizabeth and our, some other teammates sitting in there. And that's the magic that makes the questions go from good to great, like, OK, to wow. Well, the thing is, when you're interviewing somebody, it's a colloquy. You're going back and forth. You're nudging, you're interrupting, you're doing a little verbal pause. You're letting them know, like, oh, bub, 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 I'm coming in. These have to be self-contained. They have to have the detonator in them yeah. so that when you hurl them up on stage, it goes off, it goes boom. <clears throat> and that means that you have to craft them, build them, make sure that they're airtight. And then you have to make sure that they're journalistically creditable. And you can't shortcut that. And I have seen debates, and I'm not here to cast dispersion on any debate, on any network, I've any cast other many place. But I will, I will just say, you can't say... What about it? Hey, what's going on with XYZ? And you can't just toss it out there because you know what you're going to get. You're going to get the same fluff, the same boilerplate, the same crapola that you get in a campaign speech. Your job is to push them beyond that into out of their comfort zone and out of where their handlers want them to be. Yeah. People may not realize, I mean, it takes hours and hours to come up with one question. And contrast that with this show. For this show, I read all the news. I read, read, read. My team gives me a packet on get whatever guest I have coming on, in addition to my own research. And then I ask questions that I think are interesting live. I don't have scripted questions. I don't do that for this show. It's a different thing. But for a presidential debate, you, it's hours because you've got to research all the candidates' positions. You've got to compare and contrast if you're doing it right. You've got to figure out what's the way in, what's going to make it more interesting. Like, what could they actually debate? Because that's what people want to see. What have they already been asked about? So you've got to go over all the transcripts of the earlier debates. You're looking to move, move it all forward, right? Like, make it more interesting, make them ideally debate, and get them off of their talking points. So there's so much that has to go into this question. They all start off two paragraphs long, and then over time, you just... Edit, 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 and ideally you get it down to like three lines 
so that they can be the star when you're done. But it's you can't just say like, hey, write a question on this the morning right. of. It, it goes through so much vetting and tightening and research. And then right when you're on the one yard line, a researcher says, oh, actually, I found something really interesting that this candidate said about this topic six months ago or a year. And you're like, oh, OK, now we have to come back in, <clears throat> see what we can save, see what we have to throw away. And the it takes real emotional maturity because, uh, as uh, your husband would know, the editor's saying is uh, you have to kill your darlings. Yeah. It's very hard to kill your darlings. Yeah. So you come up with the question, you're like, oh, this is great. I really love this. And you have to be willing to say, nope, it's it's gone, and we're going to move on and do the next thing. Yeah, I know. And But our plan in an ideal world is to kill our darlings and to let the little darlings slide by the wayside <laughs> as the candidates that's take right. over the show. That's that, right. You know, that's what we consider a win. You just never know. I mean, we're setting them up perfectly to debate, and we want them to debate. We want them to be the stars, not us. But, you know, if what if they show up sleepy? We're right. good. We're prepared. That's right. If they do, uh, we don't think that they will. No, the so let, stakes are too that. high. Let's talk about that. Like, what do you expect tonight? Because this is it. I mean, this probably, we don't know for sure, is going to be the last debate before the vote, before Iowa. There could be another one. Um, it's definitely the last debate of 2023, but I, there's not a fourth one, I mean, a fifth one scheduled. Right Certainly, now. it seems like it will be the last sanctioned debate. It will be the last official debate. Uh, that's what every indication is. Now, there'll be rogue debates and weird debates and other stuff, right? But uh, in terms of the real deal, this is it. So there's two groups of people on the stage out of these four. You can put, you can pair them off. You have Ramaswamy and Christie uh, hanging on, right, in by the skin of their teeth, mm -hmm. barely, barely in the debate. And they have to be thinking about maybe this is the last time, right? Maybe this is the last time. This is their closing moment with voters. Part of it is, is there something I can do to change this race and get back in it? But another part is, what do I want my legacy to be? What's my lasting thing here? How, how will I be remembered in this run? Well, that's Christy, right? Oh, but I mean, Vivek, it's not a legacy, but it, it is the last sort what, of word publicly in a big, big stage. And, and what's the future? What are They're thinking about their future. And Chris Christie very famously in his last debate in the 2016 cycle garroted Marco Rubio, mm -hmm. leaving him for dead on the side of a, a New Hampshire highway. It was very uh, effective. It was very effective. And Rubio was right for it. Rubio did it to himself. But he Christy, did. It was a terrible moment for him. Christie helped him to it. So Christie is thinking, has to be thinking, okay, this is maybe or probably my last moment here. How do I want to be remembered by my party? How do I want to do this? For Ramaswamy, I don't know what, I, th there are many Viveks. I do not know which one we will get to see on the debate stage or what he's thinking about his future. At the center of the stage, you have two people who are in the finals to be the opponent of Donald Trump. And I think that we're here in Alabama. We're on the campus of the University of Alabama. The football analogies write themselves. This is who gets to go to the championship. These two are playing each other for the last spot to face Donald Trump because there can't be two. If there are two, yep. if there's two at 12%, that's not a problem for Donald Trump, and he'll just blow past them if they if they can't sort themselves out. The way I think about it is there's about a third of the Republican Party that's pretty interested in having an alternative to Donald Trump. You can't face the final boss. You can't play for the championship unless you can consolidate that. They'll be thinking about that. They'll be thinking about how hard they want to go against each other. Because remember, every time you attack somebody in politics, you probably hurt them but you hurt yourself a little bit too, right? You drive up you your sell? own. Oh, absolutely. You drive up your own negatives when you attack the other person. So each attack comes at a cost. And especially for DeSantis, who's been stalled for so long, he needs to arrest Haley's advance. But can he afford to alienate 
people who have her as a second choice or maybe are interested in her, especially in Iowa. I'm very interested to see what he does because she's coming for him. Oh, she's, yeah. She's right behind him in Iowa. And he's got to get rid of her. He's got to find a way of getting her off of his back. If he doesn't win Iowa, his campaign's done. That's what most experts will say. He's at least at least a very solid second. Yeah. OK, so. Right. I don't mean win-win. Of course, yeah, it yeah, looks yeah. like Donald yeah. Trump is going to win-win all of these. But if, if DeSantis doesn't come in first among the undercard, um, I think his campaign has pretty much said, like, this is it. We're, yeah, we're going to yeah, yeah. trust us. Um, so what does he do? Because in the first three debates, Dyerwald, he was not sleepy, but not aggressive. Right. And like she came out ready to punch, pugilistic, and started to go up in the polls. It wasn't like dramatic, but she went up in the polls. He kind of just has been going steady Eddie. And I, I've, I've heard arguments both ways that that's working for him and that it's not. Like he's holding, he's not losing a ton. But tonight he's got a lot on the line. So does he come out and throw the punches the way we saw with COVID Ron DeSantis? The, you can imagine what Ron DeSantis' handlers have been telling him leading up to this debate, right? And some of them are saying, you've got to go. And we've heard from his campaign a lot of tough stuff about Nikki Haley. He's alluded to some of that stuff. Go attack Nikki Haley. Uh, but also we see that the rictus smile, the the seasick smile that uh, Ron DeSantis, uh, <laughs> the, that he favors where he just he looks it, it looks like somebody just stepped on his toes. Oh. And so he's been trying to be likable and affable and he's trying to steer away in there. If I'm Haley, I want DeSantis on the attack because Nikki Haley has thrived in her political career when dudes are attacking her in politics. Mm. She's the, they go low, we go high, the uh, dignity, the, the Thatcherite dignity in the face of what many women would think of as sexist kind of attacks. That's where Nikki Haley likes to be. When Donald Trump called her bird brain and his campaign put a birdcage in front of her hotel room, she grabbed it. She was like, yep, that's how, see how they do me? That's what they're doing to me. Mm. So if you're Nikki Haley, you're bracing for DeSantis to be on the attack. How do I elevate above that? How do I look dignified and stateswoman-like in the face of that? And if you're DeSantis, you know that, right? So you can't go too hard mm. and figuring out where and how. The thing I will most be looking for with DeSantis, what kind of attacks does he make on Haley? Does he make policy attacks or does he make personal attacks? Does he question her character? Does mm. he question who she is as a person or does he disagree with her on policy? If he's going for her on personal attacks, this is going to be a real goat rodeo, not just in this debate for them, but over the next 50 days into Iowa. And they'll and they'll basically wreck each other. They could wreck each other going there. If he takes the higher road and talks about her policies as governor and talks about policy disagreements that they've had on the trail, then maybe Republicans who don't want Trump can keep hope alive that this will be resolved. That sounds more like him. I can't imagine him really going after her personally. It just doesn't sound like DeSantis. He, he launched an attack on her on Newsmax the other day saying she's not a conservative. Maybe we'll hear more of that. I don't think that's personal. I just, he hasn't really done the personal attack thing, even though he's been under withering personal attacks from Donald Trump. Chris Christie, mm, different story. <laughs> he's launching them and he's receiving them from Donald Trump. So um, we'll get to him in one second. Let me st stick with the top two. So Haley, what does she do? What she's been doing? Just, you know, jab and move. Stick and move. Stick and move. It's hard to... Um be a contender because she got to where she is by defeating expectations. Yeah. She's a 2%, she's whatever, 
And then it's like, oh, I forgot about this gal. She's spunky. I like her. Yeah, look at and, her. She can and stand. So you make, exactly. So you make the forward progress on the basis of beating expectations. Now, all of the big money donors have come in. All of the Republican, what used to be the Republican establishment, is swinging in behind Nikki Haley. Folks who used to back Ron DeSantis and thought DeSantis was the best bet. So now she's freighted with all these expectations, not just from her supporters financially, but also from the electorate. Like, okay, we know you can do it. Now what are you going to do? What, what can you do now? It's not enough that you have exceeded expectations. Now you've got to live at this higher, at this higher register, and that's hard. Uh, and the temptation for her will be to overswing, mm. to go to do to try to have that old magic where it, she stuns them with the with the uppercut and does this stuff and is too spunky. So she's got the 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 rocks that she has to steer between are being too stiff, right? Losing that spunky uh, rope-a-dope energy that she had before, mm -hmm. and going too hard. So she's got to find that via media. Who, she'll be going after DeSantis, right? He's going to be her main target? Well, I think that the Ramaswamy Haley hash is not yet settled. Mm. Uh, the that was. Why would she bother going after him, though, since he's so far behind her? People don't like him, and it works, right? Mm -hmm. So if you, if you attack Ron DeSantis, if you fight with Ron DeSantis, you're alienating DeSantis supporters who might come your way later. Uh, you fight with Ramaswamy. There are no Haley Ramaswamy no, undecided. No, right? there are none. There, there are none. So of, there are none of those people. And depending on how Ramaswamy, how he comports himself and the energy that he brings, she might be. She might want that other moment, that one more moment. She called him scum last time. Yeah. Is he super scum now? Like, <laughs> what? What can she do there? That's that's a safer place to fight than it is to fight with DeSantis. Okay. All right. So. Let's talk about Ramaswamy. What does he do? We don't know. We don't know which version of, of Vivek. You know, he said to NBC before the last debate or to ABC before the NBC debate, I'm going to go out there and be unhinged. Like yeah. He promised unhingedness, and then it did happen. He delivered. Yeah. So I haven't heard any promises exactly about this debate. But if you were Vivek, what would your goal be for tonight? Like, what? who would you be attacking, if anyone? Well, I, the, the money, uh, figuratively and maybe literally, uh, is on attacking Haley. Right, because for the MAGA nation, if DeSantis can play the role against Haley that Christie played against Rubio in 2016, then he gets a hero. He gets a brevet promotion to colonel on the MAGA battlefield. If DeSantis can? Oh, no, no, no. If, if, Rama, if, if yeah. Ramaswamy, sorry, if Ramaswamy can really punish her, if he can get her off her message, if he can draw her into a fight and insult her, and, it, she, and she breaks down up there. Not fully, but right. if, if she has a bad outing because Ramaswamy's harassing her, Ramaswamy gets huge status mm, in Trump land. That's true. Right? It's a big win for him. And, and with that side of the Republican Party, that's a huge status thing. So he's highly incentivized to do that. But over on the other side of the stage, there's another dude who has some incentives, right? Yeah. And, and he's way more aligned with Nikki Haley. Chris that's Christie. right. He's, I mean, those two are always chummy behind the lecterns. So you, you, there's a way to sort of think about this as you have the captains of the teams and then you have the understudies over there, right, to mix our metaphors, that you have Christie, who is more aligned with Haley, and you have Ramaswamy, who's probably more aligned with DeSantis mm -hmm. if he were going to be of any of those two front And runners. he hasn't been attacking DeSantis in and these he debates. Hasn't, he hasn't been attacking DeSantis. So will they run interference for the lead dogs? What are How are they going to play that? And what are the dynamics there? The other thing that makes your job much more challenging and much more interesting <clears throat> 
they've now all had experience. On the first debate, none of them had ever done this, right? DeSantis had done a couple gubernatorial debates, Haley a couple, but never at this level, never with this intensity. So now they've got the rhythm. Now they have their little things that they want to do, and they have the gimmicks that they're going to try and the stuff that they want to do. So in this building later today, there will be those final moments where their campaigns are like, now remember, whatever you do, don't say this and make sure you do say that. So they're going to be coming in armed. They're going to be coming in loaded. I would love to see a Chris Christie, Vivek Ramaswamy oh. slugfest. Oh. Because Vivek is very smart yes. and he is pugilistic. He does, he's not afraid to throw a punch. He's capable of doing it. And same for Chris Christie. I don't know. That's the fight I'm kind of here for. Like, I realize those two are probably not going to win the nomination, but you never know. Um, but that would be a great intellectual battle with just enough meanness, I think, to keep it like kind of you'd be on the edge of your seat. And it's the real ideological fight that divides the Republican yes. Party. You have a traditional conservative in Chris Christie and you have a sort of more MAGA nationalistic cat in Vivek Ramaswamy. And those are two different visions, two contrasting visions. And the other thing is, Christie, one of the reasons Christie was so hard on Rubio is that he thought that Rubio didn't deserve it, that he was too young, that he was too untested. Chris Christie says, I'm a former federal prosecutor, two-term governor of a blue state. I have been to the fair. I have seen the elephant. And you show up here with no experience or relatively little experience. Who do you think you are? So I think Christie's got a chip on his shoulder about Ramaswamy, and we'll probably get to see him. Were you ready to knock it off? You saw this. Um, they had this exchange I think it was the last debate where Vivek said he wanted walls all, all over. He wanted a northern wall. He wants a southern wall, all the walls. And uh, he said, you know, I, I think I'm the only candidate who's visited the northern border, Canada. And then people kind of mocked him because it was like, haven't we all been to Canada? Right. Like, okay. We're kind of going for Niagara Falls. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, whatever. Um, then there was this car explosion, this car incident at the border with Canada. And Vivek tweeted out very quickly, like, these idiots mocked you. me, yep. and I told you it happened. And I will say, when I saw that, I thought, mm, hold on, cowboy, because, you know, we've we've been in the news business long yep. enough to know, like, don't react too quickly, yeah. especially on something like that. You do not know. And sure enough, it was not a terrorist attack. Right. And then Christy came in on Twitter like, you know, oh, because he, Vivek hit Christy. Yes. Like, you didn't see You it. said that. Yeah, screw you. And Christy came in with, you know why I waited? because I've been a leader and I understand facts change. Don't go with the initial narrative. Like that's Christie playing the, I've been at this a long time card. You newbie, you know nothing. That's what's scary for Vivek. Like if he gets ahead of his skis, you know, he's a young gun, he's exciting, but like he hasn't had any government experience. And so there's danger to him. There is some danger in like getting too aggressive. As Chris Christopherson wrote, freedom's just another word for nothing <laughs> left to lose. lose. And if you're Chris Christie, you got a lot of freedom, right? You know that you're not going to be the Republican nominee. You came with a mission to take on Donald Trump. Donald Trump won't get on the stage with him. But his proxy, Vivek Ramaswamy, will. And Chris Christie's not worried about, he knows his unfavorables are high. So he's not worried about the backlash part about going after Ramaswamy. Yes, so he's got, might, might as well let it rip. And same for Vivek. Right. You know, he's already taken the hit on unfavorables that he was going to take from having fights with Nikki, yep. et cetera. So he kind of has nothing left to lose. Like, go for it. If this project for him has turned into name promotion, brand promotion, a spot in the Trump cabinet, potentially, whatever it is, 
then might as well go for it. Come out swinging. So I'll get a hose and I'll go stand over on stage right. You signal me if I need to come out and spray them down like oh, no. a couple of dogs fighting fire. in the yard. Bring okay. the fire. You bring the kindling. Okay, <laughs> bring the flint. I actually have the flint. I'll get I it started with the flint. You got it. Um, okay, let's talk about what's happening on, on the wider scale. I will say this. It's interesting how many donors are flocking to Nikki Haley right now, yep. including this big Democrat who it was the guy, I only knew this guy as the guy who was behind the E. Jean Carroll lawsuit oh, against yeah, Trump. that's right. He funded that. Yes. He's a big Dem donor, and um, he's made tons of donations to Joe Biden and so on. So he just gave Nikki Haley, what was it, $250,000, Reed Hoffman, $250,000 to her super PAC, Reed Hoffman. Now, will anybody mention it? I mean, I get her saying, you want to donate money to me? Great. Yeah. Like, I want to win, and I'll take anybody's dough. I don't think any of them would have refused money. I don't and know. it's her super PAC, so she can't really refuse it. He's So it's it, it's a part of the, the shell game that we play with campaign finance laws in this country. But Trump is already saying, while globalist special interest donors from both parties forge an unholy alliance to beat us, I'm calling on our grassroots donors like you to fight back in a fundraising email. Send, click here to send $5. Yeah. Um, I, I think the if you're the concerted media freakout that we have seen around the death of democracy in the second Trump term mm. uh, is concerted. I'm not saying it's a conspiracy, but it's concerted because Biden is struggling so much and they're very alarmed. And that's why you see that Atlantic magazine cover. That's why you see 26 articles. Right. You see all of this stuff. But it's not insincere. Right. Mm. Uh, it's not a contrivance. They're, no, they're genuinely scared. They're terrified of Donald Trump. And if you were rich, if I was rich, uh, I wouldn't give any money to any. I want to make it clear. I would not <laughs> give any money to a politician ever. But <clears throat> that's because we're in the I want to puke party. That's right. Exactly. But uh, if you're a rich dude or dudette and you have a lot of money, what's a quarter million dollars? And if you make life a little harder for Donald Trump and you throw it in there and maybe you can slow him down, maybe all Nikki Haley is is a speed bump mm. uh, on Trump's drive. But if you can make it a little harder for Trump, then they're going to make it a little harder for Trump. If I am Ramaswamy, I am going to parrot Trump's attack. I'm going to come oh, right at her. She's a globalist. Yep, she took money from exactly, the Democrats. Exactly. The Democrats, funded by billionaires and Democrats and Democratic billionaires and the global elites and all that stuff. So the good news for Haley is this will not come as a surprise. Mm. It was a good news, bad news moment for her when the uh, Koch Network said, we're all in on Nikki Haley. Yeah. We're endorsing Nikki they've Haley. They've got more money than God. Good news is they've got this amazing ground game. They can go knock on a million doors. They can run ads. They can do all that stuff. But then everywhere you go, people are going to say, dark brothers, money, the right. Koch brothers, how dare you? So the trade-offs are there. In Haley's case, it's worth it because she doesn't have the infrastructure because she was running a, a shoestring campaign. That's the thing. I didn't realize she dropped her first ad last week. It was pretty benign. Yeah. That was her first ad. Yeah. Her first ad of the whole campaign. Yeah. And I mean, she's doing very well for somebody who hasn't launched any ads. And 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 the lesson here for Ron DeSantis, it's the Jeb Bush lesson, it's the Scott Walker lesson, it's the Rick Perry lesson. Big money doesn't help, right? Big money, when you get to a certain point, there, it, my line is always in politics, there's two kinds of money. 
enough or not enough. Mm. Uh, and too much, right, when you have all this money, you get lazy, you get indulgent, you engage in infighting, you engage in strategic misadventure because you're thinking about all the wrong stuff. Ron DeSantis is going to build a 50-state campaign. It cost him $100 million oh to lose 11 points in the national polls, which is a lot. That's and, too That's too much. And to your point, like he got hit in the press for riding on private jets everywhere. Yep. Then they say she flies commercial. Those little things, I don't know, they matter to voters, but that is a good way to blow through money really fast by not cutting corners and sort of being fiscally. Indulge me in this, which is to say, being the other guy and having to scramble and scrape to work your way in makes you better at what you do. Mm -hmm. I remember that feeling at Fox a long time ago. I mm -hmm. feel that feeling on News Nation where it's like, okay, we can do this. We're, we don't have the resources. We don't have the, the legacy status of these other places, but we can do it and we can build it. It builds camaraderie. It builds team. It makes people work harder and try harder. And Haley has benefited from that, whereas DeSantis was bloated and it was too much and too much legacy mm -hmm. and he didn't get tough and fight. So tonight, maybe he gets tough and fights. Okay. If one of these guys man or gals manages to pull this out somehow, you know, has a great debate, gets momentum, something happens to change the race between now and Iowa, and maybe wins, maybe comes in as strong enough second to Trump that people are looking at them anew. It is possible that they run it, somehow they win it, and Joe Biden drops out. Yeah. Because he made news yesterday by saying at a private fundraiser that he doesn't think he'd be running mm -hmm. if Donald Trump were not likely to be the nominee. And then he attempted to clarify it uh, last night, mm -hmm. and it was not a clarification. Mm -hmm. He kind of just doubled down. Here's what he said in SOT 1. Would you be running for president if Trump wasn't running? I, I expect so, but look, he is running, and I, just, I have to run. Did you drop out if Trump runs out? No, not now. So what does that mean? <laughs> Not now. Not too now. Late. We already bought all the signs. Right. Like, no, no, I won't drop out now. And also, I expect so. That's not like a full, of course, I, I'm president. I'm going to stay president. It's a weird argument to have to make to your party, which is basically to say, I'm sorry I'm running. Yeah. I'm sorry I have to run. I know I shouldn't have run. And by the way, this the there's a weird thing that happened. In 2022, Democrats were getting ready for a shellacking. They were getting ready for just the, the, the typical midterm beatdown. But Donald Trump and a bunch of weirdo candidates on the Republican side changed the race, changed the nature of the race from being a referendum on the party in power into a choice election. Oh, do we want the MAGA Republicans? Do we want the Biden Democrats, the inflation? And it, it messed things up for Republicans. That was good news for Joe Biden, but maybe long-term bad news for the Democratic Party. Because if the Democrats had taken the beating that they were expected to take in 2022, mm -hmm. Biden and the pressure on Biden to say, okay, I'm going to step aside and let mm -hmm. somebody else come in here. But then he said, well, you know, maybe it's working. Maybe we can just do this. I still got some magic kernels in my pocket. I st and Trump is enough of a threat to unite Democrats around him. And to go back to all of, you know, the Atlantic articles and all of that other stuff, the 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 raison d'etre, the whole point of Joe Biden's political life, of his presidency, is that he is not Donald Trump. And they hope that will be sufficient this time. That's not an exciting message for Democrats. Yeah. But I tell you, they're going to be so terrified 
By, by the time we get to August of next year, if it's Donald Trump on the Republican side, the Democrats will be so terrified of Donald Trump, who says things like, I'll only be a dictator for one day. Yeah, he said that in Hannity last night. They'll be so terrified. The ter first day, the first day. Just one well, just first day. Um, that he will so terrify Democrats that they probably will unite. Mm, okay, the other thing is, on that Trump town hall that Hannity had last night, Trump was asked about Biden and whether he thinks he's going to make it. Here's what he said. It's not three. I personally don't think he makes it, okay? I haven't said that. I'm saving it for this big town hall. I think he's in bad shape physically. Do you remember when he said, I'd like to take him behind the barn? If he took me behind the barn and I went like this, <laughs> I believe he'd fall over. I believe he'd fall over. I personally don't think he makes it physically. I watched him at the beach. He wasn't able to lift a beach chair, which is meant for children to lift. You can lift him like that. <laughs> Uh, and mentally, I would say he's possibly equally as bad and maybe worse, but I don't know. I will say this. He's got vicious people surrounding him around that beautiful Oval Office. There are people in that Oval Office that are evil people, bad people, smart people, young, vicious. They're communists and they're bad. Communists. This is why we're really going to miss him tonight, I have to say. I hope he, do, he does add something. Brings yes. eternal... He's just entertaining style, yes, yes, you know, yes. like you, you watch him, you're like, okay, this one's got this policy and there was a lot of drama and then, you know, I, and then you see him, you're like, I, okay, I want four more years of that show. It's entertaining. It makes me laugh. And then the Democrats in the Atlantic and then, you know, they'll remind you of everything about Trump and kind of wash that away. That's what we're going to be in for if none of these four manages to pull it out. But he raises some good points about Biden's and, and he he paints the word picture, right? He talks about trying to lift the chair. He can't lift the chair. I, I could blow him. I could blow him over like this. And Joe Biden's problem. Joe Biden has many problems. He has many, many problems, but they're all amplified by how feeble he appears. Yeah. Right. Did you see that thing in the Kennedy Center honors? Yesterday? Yes. Yes. Diane Warwick. Yes. Billy Gibbs. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's it's who that's 81 doesn't know it's Dionne Warwick. Seriously. Yeah. Like I. I know the I know the way to San Jose. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so Biden's feebleness and the fact that he just seems so old amplifies all of the perceived problems on every policy point in every part. Um, and Democrats have said for a long time, "Oh, we need to make him into like Harrison Ford's eighty-one." Why can't? And it's oh like, no, he is not a Harrison Ford eighty-one. No. And by the way, Harrison Ford just has to do four interviews a year with Conan O'Brien or whatever, and then and then he can go away and hang out with Calista Flockhart. Being the president of the United States, you saw Biden there talking to the uh, doing chopper talk, uh, talking to reporters uh, who were waiting for him to go by. The squint, the eyes, the heart. It's he, yeah. his heart. I'm sure Joe Biden loves being president in a lot of ways, but he has to look at what's coming in the next 11 months and think, I, how? How am I going to do this? You know this? what? I used to love the little mini skirts that were jean with lace at the bottom of them, but then I left college, got older, and realized I could no longer do that. Everyone has their aha moment. Uh-huh. Just saying, he's going to have to come to his. I'm still wearing them. I think they look good on me. This, there's a modesty panel here you can't see, but I think it works for me. You know what I have? To, I told the audience yesterday I was freezing my buns off here. So Abby, my dear Abby, got me this warm blanket, and you know what? It's heated. Oh my feel, god! Feel my blankie. Oh my god! Are you are you going to have this? Tonight? I might. I actually might have this on me in the debate hall. This is the secret <laughs> weapon, America. You have now seen the secret weapon, which is a heated blankie. I'm not too proud. <laughs> Great to see you, my friend. Good luck tonight. Thank you for everything. You, you are bet. invaluable You're in the every best. way. All right, we're going to be right back with Dave and Stu. Don't go away. 
This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Welcome back to The Megan Kelly Show, coming to you live from the University of Alabama, where the countdown is officially on to the big Republican debate tonight, co-moderated by yours truly, I have to tell you, I'm so relieved this thing is finally going to be over. <laughs> it just takes so much work. And as you guys know, this show is my main responsibility. And I also made three humans who need me. Um, Doug is actually on his way down here right now with my three. So that's exciting. I'm thrilled to see my fam. Uh, I've been down here since Sunday night. Uh, so looking forward to seeing all of them. It's good to share, you know, you, wherever you work. Uh, it's good sometimes when you can to share it with your kids. Give them a little little uh, bird's eye view into what mom or dad does for a living. Uh, today, right now, we are bringing you two of our faves to discuss all things political and beyond and have some fun. Joining me now, Dave Marcus, columnist for the Daily Mail and other outlets, and Stu Bergier, host of the Blaze TV's Stu Does America. Dave, Stu, welcome back. How you doing? Doing well, thanks. Doing well. Thanks for having us. Awesome. So are you, so like you guys are here, we're talking about debate among other politics. But are you going to watch this? Like, would you be watching this normally? Yeah, of course. In fact, Megan, if, if you want to, like, warm up or, like, swing two bats in the on-deck circle, Stu and I could, like, be obnoxious and interrupt each other, like, like yell at you. <laughs> Just let us know. Like, anything that's helpful. I, I could Cut his mic. Prop, you know, my Cut his mic. That's it. <laughs> I think we're going to be okay on that. I actually think because our goal is to have them fight. You know, fight. I'm using that term in quotes debate. So I, unlike that NBC debate, you're not going to see us being like, ah, they're, they're arguing, move on, everyone shut up and get back to me. You know, if it's something lame, I will say the one sort of qualifier on that is if it's something lame and it's ground that we've covered already, we will wrap it because it's like there's only so much time. But if it's something new and it's like a spicy moment, hell no, we will not be cutting that off. We will be letting that breathe, which makes for good TV. You know, it's like, that was big, NBC's biggest sin. Is like they didn't understand how to make good TV still, and the rest of us at home were feeling it. Yeah, exactly. And we need to have a little bit of fire. We need some fireworks in this thing, you know. I mean, you know, Donald Trump's not going to be there. Where there's always fireworks when he's present. So why not have these guys mix it up a little bit? I, you know, there's a weird alternative universe, like an alternative timeline, alternative 1985 on Doc Brown's chalkboard, where this is a really normal looking <laughs> election, right? Like where. There are yes. four or five candidates that are somewhat competitive in these states, and we don't know how this is going to turn out, and the top two are pretty close. If you take kind of the Donald Trump element out of this, this is sort of a normalish looking primary, but it is absolutely in reality the total opposite of that, where you have the top candidate not there, and you have these personalities kind of coming in and out, and it's, it is a, it's been a weird journey, but I'm really looking forward to, to, to you doing this tonight. I think it's going to be fascinating. Do you get nervous for this stuff, Megan, or is this just old hat for you at this point? I don't really get nervous anymore. Um, I get excited. You know, I'm psyched. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, when we get closer to 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern, I'll get the feeling of like, you know, I always call it, it's like you put on a superhero cape 
You know, that's how I used to feel when I was going out there on the big nights on Fox, where just like your senses get a little sharper. You know, it's like fight or flight almost, you know, where you feel like, okay, I, I could lift a truck. You know, that that happens. Uh, and I hope I hope that happens tonight. I hope I don't crumble. Uh, and this will actually be kind of cool because I love Eliana. You know, she comes on the show like you guys do regularly. She's she's never been a news anchor. She's usually doing punditry. So this is a huge night for her. And I absolutely adore this woman. So I'm looking forward to her having her shining moments. And I know she's going to crush it. And Elizabeth, I've never worked with before, but she's a seasoned pro. So I'm sure she'll be great. Uh, so anyway, there's a lot of reasons to look forward to going. I don't know if we've ever had an all-female panel, actually, now that I think about it. Not that that's what this is about, but it's going to be a lot of estrogen. More estrogen than average on the debate stage, given Nikki Haley's one of the candidates. Let's see how that affects things. Um, okay, let's talk about Donald Trump, because he goes on Sean Hannity last night, and he said something that's already making a lot of news. It's classic Trump. There's already some meltdowns. Um, you guys tell me what you think he meant by this. Sot five. We almost have to go to a break. I want to go back to this one issue, though, because the media has been focused on this and attacking you yeah. under no circumstances. You are promising America tonight. You would never abuse power as retribution against anybody. Except for day one. Except Look, what? He's going crazy. Except for day one. Meaning? I want to close the border and I want to drill, that's drill, not a, that's, drill. That's not, oh, no. that's not retribution. <laughs> I love this guy. He says, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? I said, no, no, no. Other than day one, we're closing the border and we're drilling, drilling, drilling. After that, I'm not a dictator. So, that, okay? that. <laughs> so you know exactly how the left is reacting to this. Um, I don't I feel like most Republicans are probably like, cool. But you tell me, is that a scandal or not, Dave? I mean, come on. He was, he's clearly joking around. I mean, he's going to be a one day dictator. Right. I mean, I feel like the country would survive that anyway. But. Uh, listen, there's an appetite uh, for retribution right now. If retribution means um, that the FBI has to stop spying on Catholics, then, yeah, we need retribution. If retribution means that the Department of Justice, uh, you know, stops having these ridiculous double standards where Republicans are prosecuted and Democrats aren't, then, yeah, we need retribution. It, it, you know, if, if we have these double standards where George Santos gets kicked out of Congress and Bob Menendez with stolen bars of gold, still has you know intelligence clearance after allegedly you know, selling secrets to Egypt. Yeah, we need we need some retribution, and I, I think that's clearly uh, what Donald Trump meant. And I don't think any Republicans going to have a problem with that. Well said. I like the examples you ticked off. I mean, it is crazy that Santos, who I, I, I mean, he was a joke. Let's face it; we all know that that he's gone. But Bob Menendez, who's alleged by federal prosecutors to be corrupt and on the take to a foreign country still has access to our secrets, Stu. So yeah, I, I take Dave's point. But on the Trump thing, what Trump was actually describing are not dictatorial moves. Like that's what Hannity was trying to say. And they're not, that's not retribution to shore up the border and drill, drill, drill. Right. It's, it's a fascinating thing to watch. I mean, I would, to be clear, would like my presidents to have be zero day dictators. Um, but that's not <laughs> at all what he was saying. Right. Like when you it's funny, Donald Trump, and maybe this is part of his superpower among Republican primary voters, but he actually has he does the opposite of every other politician. Most politicians, if you have a somewhat controversial policy, will craft ways to talk about it that make them as positive as possible. You'll try to make it sound better than it is to people who might be opposed to it. 
Donald Trump actually does the opposite. Like he, Hannity yeah, didn't even so ask true. him if he was going to be. He didn't even ask him if he was going to be a dictator. He said, "Are you going to get retribution?" And he brought it from retribution to dictator. Trump made it into a dictator <laughs> thing. Trump was like, "I want to come up with a worse way of saying this, so it pisses off the maximum amount of people." And it works for him, particularly in the primaries, because people just are so sick of everything. They're sick of the way they're treated. They're sick of the way the media treats them and the way they think. They're sick of the way the country has abused them over these years. So when they hear the dictator thing, they're like, finally, someone's just coming out and being like, I'm, screw this. I'm going to do it. None of them want him to be a dictator. No Republican primary voters is like, I actually, what I really want is a king or uh, you know, a Saddam Hussein lookalike who's going to take retribution on his enemies. But you know, Trump is... <laughs> He's he, he's able to communicate that vibe. It's, it really is that don't take him seriously, uh, you know, or take him seriously, don't take him literally thing. He's not going to be a dictator. What he's saying is I'm going to be tough on the things you care about. And that's how people receive it in a Republican primary. Well, what's interesting is if Trump continues this scary talk, he might just be rolling out the red carpet for yet another challenger to enter this race, Dave. And that challenger could be, wait for it, Liz Cheney. And I mean, that's going to scare Donald Trump. I, I feel it. Don't you feel it? Uh, it's it's insane. But it, it's also the most Liz Cheney thing in the world. Like Liz Cheney is completely convinced that she is is, is the font of moral certitude of, of the conservative movement. She, she is she is the 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 oracle of, of profound morality that we're all supposed to just, you know, follow to the mountaintop, except nobody likes her. No, nobody votes for her. I mean, she she got blown out in, in her own district. I, I, I don't understand. I mean, it, it really makes no sense for her to run. The only thing that she could possibly do is like, get, I don't know, Bill Crystal's vote. I mean, who's voting for right. Cheney at Steve Schmidt? I, I don't know. It's I, not the Lincoln I, I Project guess. guys seem to like her. So it's, she's it's, just to bring the audience up to speed. She's threatening a third party run. She's I shouldn't say threatening. She's weighing it. She's weighing it per The Washington Post, weighing whether to mount her own third party candidacy, vows to do whatever it takes to stop Trump. Uh, she'll make the final decision in a couple of months. And um, let's see, in order to make the presidential debates next fall, because remember, we have had independents or, you know, third parties. Uh, Ross Perot was one back in 92. Make the, the big debate stage where it's down to the last couple of candidates. And in order to get there, she'd have to have at least 15 support, 15 percent support in national polls, some other criteria as well. I mean, RFKJ could actually do that. Liz Cheney, you tell me not a, not a chance in hell if you ask me. I don't know that she can get 15 supporters, let alone 15 percent <laughs> in the polls. No, seriously, uh, I mean, Stu, who would her constituency be? Who, I, mean, right. I realize there's like a hardcore never Trumper group, but they're probably going to vote Democrat. You'd think so. I mean, I, if I may take a moment and do some election night coverage, I am now calling all states against Liz Cheney. Uh, she's won none of them. Um, and we can predict this in advance. Uh, you know, look, there's not much of a constituency for her. I mean, the one argument you might make if you're Liz Cheney, other than the fact that what else are you going to do with your life, right? Like she's kind of put herself into this box where she's going to be this never Trump person for, I think, the rest of her life. And this is going to be her her industry, I think. So why? what's the downside, really, of running for president? But I mean, the one argument you can make maybe electorally is that there are some people who uh, you know, really don't like Donald Trump. They lean on you know, to the right as opposed to and they can never find themselves voting for Joe Biden, but they do, really don't like Trump. And maybe she gets a half a percent 
of the vote. And at half of a percent in the vote in some of these states, it could flip a big state like a Pennsylvania in a really tight election. Not to mention, of course, it pays for her lifestyle for a year. And, it, you know, she winds up getting connected to a lot of donors. And, you know, there's certainly reasons for it outside who, of politics. But but who would it help? Like, Stu, who does she steal from? Who would vote for Liz Cheney that is a Republican who would have otherwise voted for Trump? Like, there's not a person getting ready to vote for Trump who would then stop and say, oh, wait, I'm going to go Liz Cheney. So if anything, I think she'd pull from Democrats, you know, like the Steve Schmidt crowd that has recently declared themselves. I don't know what he is, but, you know, they hate Trump. They're never Trump Lincoln people. Um, wouldn't she be hurting the Dem and helping Trump if she does this? There may be a few uh, people who are just don't can never vote for a Democrat, but really don't like Donald Trump that might go to her. But I think Dave's right. I mean, it might be 12 people across the country. So I don't know that this is really a play into electoral politics as much as I mean, you mentioned the Lincoln Project. Right. Like, I think a lot of people on the right look at that as a massive failure. Um, but if you're a member of the Lincoln Project, you probably don't. Right. Like it's been a, a situation where you've had tons and tons of funding. Your job has been paid for. You're you know, you there's a lot of benefits of this. You're on television all the time outside, you know, outside of reality when it comes to the election. This might be the life for her. Right. It might get her the sorts of benefits in her Holy. personal life. Only in politics, okay? Yes, Only in politics that. can you be defeated by a margin of more than 30 percentage points in your primary, which is what happened to her, and say, my next move is to run for president. You know, this is like uh, the, the our loser mayor in New York, Dave. Like the, the whatever, the last mayor um, who was a nightmare Blasio. and ruined New York. Yeah, de Blasio, who thought his next move after polling like 0% popularity in New York could be president. She has no chance. Um, I'll, I'll to your point of it. sanctimony, she comes out and says, we have to ensure Trump and those who have appeased, enabled, and collaborated with him are defeated. This is the cause of our time. When when de Blasio ran for president, um, I was writing at the Federalist at the time, and, and he went to Iowa, and there's this great shot of him like eating a corn dog. He looks like completely ridiculous. And I used it as the image for three articles in a row about the <laughs> until finally my editor was like, Dave, you have to stop. Like, you can't. You got to move anymore. on. So I stopped. But no, it's it's I mean, that was the same idiocy. Right. Um, honestly, I think Andrew Cuomo would, would, would have a better chance as a third party candidate because you, you made the point. The, the, the Liz Cheney constituency in the Republican Party doesn't exist anymore. You mentioned when you were talking to Chris Steyerwalt that Atlantic magazine cover of like 87 million articles about why you can't have Trump. You know, five years ago, that was National Review with its famous, you know, never Trump issue. Of those people, they're, the, either those writers came around to Trump to some degree or they're not Republicans anymore. And, and they just mm, are that. So that's the point. Like that constituency just doesn't exist anymore. They're just not She's going to find that out the hard way. All right, stand by. We come back with more with Stu and Dave. They stay with us for the rest of the show. Hey, I'm Ruben. My band and I have a new song. I'm also a tow truck driver. When you move over and slow down, you're making sure I get to go home at the end of the day and see my bandmates. When you see flashing lights, remember, they're not just roadside workers. Thank you for moving over and slowing down. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because 
If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. All right, guys, so this is not a parody, but there is breaking news about White House interns, and it doesn't involve a cigar or anything untoward in that way. However, it does involve absolutely disgusting entitled conduct, and I'll tell you how. NBC News reporting that the White House interns now, more than 40 of them, (laughs) are demanding a ceasefire in the Middle East. The interns... This is what these lunatic leftists have wrought. You are now having interns demand things of the president of the United States who has been good enough to give them a position in the White House, temporary position for their resumes. These are probably all the kids of donors and so on. What a bunch of brats. We the undersigned fall 2023 White House and executive office of the president interns will no longer remain silent on the ongoing genocide of the Palestinian people. We heed the voices of the American people and call on the administration to demand a permanent ceasefire. We're not the decision makers of today, but we aspire to be the leaders of tomorrow. And we will never forget how the pleas of the American people have been heard and thus far ignored. Then they say they went to work for this administration because of our shared values and the profound belief that under your leadership, America has the potential to be the nation that stands for justice and peace. And then it goes on to say, you disappointed us. We call on you to call for an immediate and permanent ceasefire right now. Yada, 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 yada. Um, And guess what? These courageous souls who, as they say, almost certainly got these jobs thanks to their parents' donations, did not put their names on the letter. (laughs) They would like to remain anonymous. (laughs) They want to be anonymous entitled brats, not and ballless, for that matter, as well, not putting their names on anything. So, Stu, do you feel inspired by them? You think we're going to get some action at the White House in, in response to this? Incredibly brave, Megan. Wow, that's really impressive. Uh, yeah. This is, I guess, what you get, though, when you turn over the intellectual leadership of your movement to Greta Thunberg. Uh, you wind <laughs> up with a bunch of people who don't know anything about what they're talking about. And this is the future of the Democratic Party, right? Like, we can sit here and mock the interns, but these are the up-and-coming voices. These are the people who are going to the fancy schools that are getting the high-quality internships that are have a, have a pathway for them to the leadership of the future Democratic Party. And this is really where they are. And the point itself is so insane. I mean, they they had a pause in action until Hamas broke it. If I may uh, steal a point from your executive producer, Steve Krakauer, uh, nobody ever seems to ask Hamas if they want to cease fire. Everyone keeps arguing for one on their behalf, but they don't seem to want one at all. They want one from They keep, they keep releasing statements saying that, that, that 10-7 was just a dress rehearsal and there'll be many more. Exactly. Like they do, they what they want is to stop getting uh, the wrong side of the ceasefire, but continue yeah. firing as much as they want on their side. That's not how any of this works. And of course, you know, you're at a point where this has been disgusting behavior by so many on the left. And I do think maybe I, I my the optimistic part of me, which is incredibly small at this point, 
Megan, sees a little bit of light in some people on the Democratic side where the left is, I think, a little bit awakened. I mean, they kept thinking anti-Semitism equals Charlottesville, the 14 people with tiki torches that we were supposed to be so terrified about. But they're seeing thousands of people every single day in cities across the country and colleges across the country doing Charlottesville times 5, 10, 20, arguing for the genocide of, of all Jews. And we're supposed to sit back and just kind of take this. I think maybe some people on the left, John Fetterman's one. I mean, even Hillary Clinton's made some decent uh, statements. Mm, she's been on, not on bad, this. I have to say. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I don't, I don't know if I get kicked off the radio for saying that. <laughs> um, but I mean, it does feel odd that some people on the left have a little bit of awareness on this issue and are, are calling it out. But it, man, the voices are not loud enough. By the way, you can feel free to steal liberally from Steve Krakauer. I do it myself all the time. Uh, so, Dave, the whiny interns, and that takes us over to their peers who are still on the college campuses who have just proven to be a nightmare. I mean, an absolute embarrassment. We'll get to the testimony we saw from the university presidents on Capitol Hill in one second. But I want to start with this. There's been a lawsuit filed against the University of Pennsylvania. It's not the first one. There's a couple of lawsuits that have been filed um, New York University, I think, was one, the University of California at Berkeley, because what these students are alleging is that they're not being protected. These Jewish students on campus, their civil rights uh, are not being protected by these campus administrators. And in this Penn case, University of Pennsylvania, this is the Ivy League, and that was one of the presidents who testified on uh, Capitol Hill yesterday. They claim Penn committed egregious violations of federal civil rights law by selectively enforcing its rules of conduct to avoid protecting Jewish students from hatred and harassment. They also say that they hired rapidly anti-Semitic professors and ignored students' pleas for protection. So uh, one of the plaintiffs in this case, Eyal uh, Yacobi, spoke at a preference yesterday. And take a listen to Yacobi's description of what happened on campus. 36 hours ago, I, along with most of campus, sought refuge in our rooms. As classmates and professors chanted proudly for the genocide of Jews while igniting smoke bombs and defacing school property, the neighboring university's president swiftly denounced the incident. And yet our president cannot. Because the glorious October 7th, and you're a dirty little Jew, you deserve to die, are words said not by Hamas, but by my classmates and professors. And because despite all of this, I am adamant and hopeful that we will not accept, least of all embrace, this horrific new normal on college campuses today. During COVID, strict guidelines governed everything from class attendance and graduation talk walks. Yet now, when students and faculty defy policies to intimidate Jewish students, where is the same resolute enforcement? Nonetheless, I refuse to go back to 1939 when Jews had to hide their religious symbols and hide who they are due to the intimidation and harassment of us. I used to think this was nonsense, fear-mongering, until I was made aware that Penn recommended to students, quote, not wear clothing slash accessories related to Judaism. Hundreds of posters mocking the hostages featuring cows instead of humans adorned Penn's campus two weeks ago. While on my way to class, I was greeted with chalk reading 90% of pigs are gas-chambered. As a student, what my despite what my university says, I do not feel safe. Oh, my God. That's horrific, Dave. And he speaks for so many of us who knew that there was, of course, anti-Semitism in the world, uh, but really didn't know uh, 
that it existed to this extent. And it is frightening. It, it is reminiscent of, of, of 1939. And, you know, Megan, I think you were right uh, to relate this to these White House interns. And here, here's how the White House interns should be handled. Uh, they should be brought into a room and told, there's a very well-written letter that's very brave of you, you're all fired. The ones who signed it, the ones who didn't sign it. And this is the reason why. Th that letter didn't get sent because they think that Joe Biden cares what a bunch of 22-year-olds think. That letter was sent to embarrass Joe Biden, their boss. That letter was sent to humiliate their boss and try to force him into doing what they want done because they think it's that important. And it's exactly what we see these students on the college campuses doing. The, college, the students on the college campus are saying, I will not, I, I will not be, be stopped from yelling from the river to the sea. I will not be stopped from saying horrible anti-Semitic things and making people feel unsafe because I need to stop this genocide in Palestine because what I believe in is so important that nothing else matters. And, and it, 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 it's awful. It, it's, it's, it's really, really bad. It's very dark, and it's, I guess, not a surprise, Stu, for a few reasons. I mean, we've all been following the wokeification of college campuses, but to hear the university presidents yesterday called before Congress to talk about their failure to, to protect the Jewish students on campus was pretty remarkable. Now, we can get into it. Ilya Shapiro, who used to run, remember, he's, he's a great uh, legal commentator and lawyer, and he was the guy who was uh, hired by Georgetown Law to sort of run the Georgetown Law Center, and then they, they ruined his life because he sent out one errant tweet about uh, Ketanji Brown-Jackson, the, the Supreme Court justice, after Biden had said, I'm only going to take a black woman and whatever. It's, it was a long thing. Anyway, Ilya did nothing wrong, and he corrected his tweet, blah, blah, blah. He got booted out of Georgetown Law, essentially, for that. They made his life a living hell, and he had to leave. He did this long piece about where your free speech rights end and somebody else's civil rights on campus begin. And it's very true that we have the United States. What makes us special is we believe in freedom of speech here, you know, in extreme cases. And that's a, that's a good thing. All of Europe, you can't protest. They're shutting down protests because you're not allowed. They're shutting down speech because you're not allowed free speech. Look what's happening in Ireland right now. They're shutting down speech. If it's just, you know, allegedly hateful, they're searching people's phones. The United States is unique in a good way. But there are limits and you, you cannot surround Jews on a campus and chant that you want them genocided to the point where they're cowering in their dorms or their dorm or their mess hall, afraid and unable to meaningfully participate in the college education for which they're paying. And time after time, we're seeing that, Stu. So I'll, I'll set it up with a bit on the, the college campus presidents. There was one from MIT. There was one from Harvard. There was one from uh, UPenn. And Elise Stefanik did the best job just cross-examining them on what's happening. Watch. Ms. McGill, at Penn, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's rules or code of conduct? Yes or no? If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment. Yes. I am asking specifically calling for the genocide of Jews does that constitute bullying or harassment? If it is directed and severe or pervasive, it is harassment. So the answer is yes. 
It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. It's a context-dependent decision. That's your testimony today. Calling for the genocide of Jews is depending upon the context. That is not bullying or harassment. This is the easiest question to answer yes, Ms. McGill. So is your if testimony it, that it, you will not answer yes? If it uh, is, if the, yes speech or becomes, no. if the speech becomes conduct, it can be harassment, yes. Conduct meaning committing the act of genocide? <laughs> the speech is not harassment? This is unacceptable, Ms. McGill. I'm gonna give you one more opportunity for the world to see your answer. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's code of conduct when it comes to bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be harassment. The answer is yes. Mm. What did you make of it, Stu? She did an incredible job there. I mean, that was the the best grilling of someone in this type of circumstance that I've ever I've ever seen. I mean, it's the outrage is real and and obvious. Uh, you know, it's amazing that it's something that needs to even be asked. I mean, it's honestly a softball question, right? The easiest question, the easiest answer in the world is to say, "Of course, that's harassment. That's that's crazy." Uh, you know, they they it, it's it's not surprising here to see their reaction, though. And that's what's odd. I mean, when you look at if you haven't seen the video, you look at her, the the people, all, all the presidents of these universities and the facial expressions they're making. And there's almost a tone of, you know, Congresswoman, you're talking to the wrong people. I'm talking to the right people. I'm talking to people know what I mean. This is all nuanced. I can't. They're not going to say uh, what she wants them to say. It's almost like they felt they were above her in answering this question in some weird way. And this is what's really disturbing about where we're going here, because, you know, universities are filled with with kids who believe all of this stuff. They've been taught under the they're under the tutelage of people uh, like the woman answering the questions there. And and that's that's terrifying. When you look at the, uh, the a, a bunch of really negative polls just came out about Joe Biden, which is you know not exactly breaking news. And a lot of conservatives, and when I saw it too, I, I don't think Joe Biden's been a good president, so I'm glad to see his poll numbers go down. But when I looked at the details of them, it actually felt like bad news. And the reason why is because it wasn't because they were saying, hey, Joe Biden's too old or he's incompetent or his policies, generally speaking for the country, have been bad. He's not controlling the border, all the things that I would critique on Joe Biden. It was younger voters who were turning on Biden because he was too pro-Israel. Mm -hmm. And- you know, if you know anything about Joe Biden, he has magically found himself basically in the center of the Democratic Party for half a century. He will move wherever he needs to move to try to please voters within some very loose guardrails. And I, I worry that this this sort of attitude is going to become even more prominent among Democrats as they see polling go the wrong direction. And I think that's a bad uh, that's bad news, not just for Jews, but for everybody. So, Dave, this is not a popular position, but <laughs> I have to defend free speech here. Um, it, I don't think it is unconstitutional for these students to chant hateful slogans on campus. Now, too much targeted and so on can run you afoul of the civil rights laws for the reasons I just stated. If you're, if you're targeting Jews in a way that makes them feel unsafe, but just, just saying a slogan, just like a march saying something like, even globalize the intifada, and I realize it's terrible. I understand what they're saying. But that's America. That's the same reason the KKK was allowed to march in our streets and say all the terrible things about black people. 
They were allowed to do that. Um, the First Amendment does not exist to protect speech that you like. It exists to protect speech you do not like. So having said that, there are limits. You, you cannot, what they're doing on these campuses is scaring Jewish kids by surrounding them, by having die-ins on campus and when the Jews walk by, harassing them, laying hands on them, by storming through study halls where they're minding their own business, studying for class, and getting in their face with flags and, and hateful slogans. That's different. And my problem with these women who testified yesterday, Dave, and I'm interested in your take, is F them for being so cavalier about it. F them for showing absolutely no empathy for what the Jewish students are going through. They clearly don't care. They're, they're, hmm. it depends on context. Well, depends on the context, right? It was, I, I, you wanted yeah. to smack them. Well, my question is, in what context is it appropriate to call for the genocide of Jews or, or the genocide of anyone? I mean, cards against yeah, humanity? It's, not, it's I mean, never what, appropriate. What, like, the what question are they is talking about? Well, no, and, and look, I agree with you completely that that it's legal to to do that, and it's protected by the First Amendment. But institutions are allowed to protect themselves, right? I mean, we know for certain and must. Uh, and just to, just to reiterate, yes. Dave, they must under the under Title Seven, the, the universities have an obligation to protect minority students like Jews Jews from having their activities interfered with because of their Judaism, because of who they are. Yeah, I mean, look what what jumped what jumped out to me with the with those women yesterday, the the the, the presidents of the Ivy League universities is it, these are the leaders of what's what are supposed to be our most important institutions of learning, and they don't understand or don't seem capable of basic discourse. They they just repeat these nonsense shibboleths over and over that, that don't mean anything. And we're all supposed to say, oh, well, you know, you're the president of Harvard, I guess, you know, it's context dependent or did speech become conduct? And these don't mean anything. The answer is no, no, you're not allowed to target Jewish students and and attack them with words for being Jews and be a student at our university. It's Stu, Stu said it. The, the answers here are very simple. And the reason that they're not capable of saying it is because they are completely caught up in, in this hierarchy of oppression. They view Jews as oppressors. And listen, I think at the end of the day, they're probably okay with a certain level of anti-Semitism. I, yep. I mean, I don't like to say that. I just think it's true. I couldn't agree with you more. It's it's obvious that um, they've proven it day after day on these college campuses, which has just been absolutely horrifying. This is some of what the, the guy we just played, Eyal Yakalbi, who was amazing. That, what a spokesman. And I'm so glad that he gave his testimonial and is not going to back down. He's at UPenn. Um, so here's just a little bit of the UPenn students marching uh, just over the weekend. We showed yesterday what they did at Cornell. Here's another Ivy League in SOT 9. Something very creepy about it. It's creepy about the accent. It's creepy in this context. All of it creeps me out. And the problem is you've got these students doing this while not far away in Philly, you've got a, a Jewish person's falafel restaurant targeted because he's Jewish. Outside of Goldie's, 
an anti-Semitic mob in Philly, attacked this man rhetorically because he's a Jew. Listen here, SOT 10. Yeah, so I guess he was born in Israel. That was enough to, to harass. That's illegal. What we saw there, that's not lawful. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, you know, you can't hide is an implied threat to me. That's not just, you know, that's not just speech. I think there is a, you laid this out really well when it comes to the legal side of this. Of course, you, you should be able to say, you know, all sorts of things. There's a, there's a First Amendment argument to be made that almost anything is allowed. And I'm you know, I'm close to the free speech absolutist side of this. I think everything should be able to be spoken if it's not a threat. If you're trapping someone in a library and banging on the doors, um, that's not free speech. That has nothing to do uh, with free speech. But you know, if you go back to her original question, it wasn't even about uh, the First Amendment. It wasn't about uh, le legalities of this speech. It was about the code of conduct these are there laws, these are rules within sight, you know, the guidelines you mentioned with Title VII aside, like these are laws they're basically making up for their own campus, right? They can make them whatever they want, That's and they do right. make them whatever they want all the time. They're throwing people out. You mentioned Ilya Shapiro. There's so many examples of this where they make every kind of microaggression this international offense. But when we're talking about genocide, it's it's okay. One of the one of the speakers yesterday, one of the presidents of the university said, "Well, it's it's uh, it crosses the line when it's targeted at an individual." Well, how do you target genocide at an individual? It's it, <laughs> it's a collective thing. You're killing all of them, so it will never hit that standard. It's like point. genocide is exempt from your code of conduct. <laughs> it is really disturbing, and they just keep going down these roads farther and farther. It's dangerous for everybody because who knows what the next group could be. It doesn't matter uh, if it's if it's going to affect you. It's wrong because it's affecting somebody else. Uh, we should stand up against it. But this is something that's going to continue to spread to all sorts of unfavored groups. You know, Dave, the, the case of Ilya Shapiro is actually, I'm glad Stu picked up on that because it's, it's, it's interesting to juxtapose what happened to him and what's happening right now. Ilya Shapiro is brilliant. He got hired to run the Georgetown Law Center, which is a student, uh, I think, graduate uh, program. And he got railroaded out of the position after he tweeted out about Katanji Brown Jackson. And now we're now we're stuck with a lesser black woman instead of a more qualified nominee. And what he meant was we didn't go for the best candidate. Joe Biden made that clear. It had to be a black person. It had to be a woman. And so he recognized it was inartfully stated and he took it down and said he was sorry. And that should have been the end of it. They had like sit-ins at Georgetown over this. The students were asking for reparations because of his tweet. They acted like complete brats on campus when the university administrators tried to calm them down and have big listening sessions about Ilya's tweet. But all this stuff on college campuses, it's fine. Genocide? Intifada revolution on Moss with the scary nighttime threatening. That's go for it. You know, free speech, we love it. And we've always been defenders of it. Well, we know that's not true.
Yeah, I mean, full, disclo uh, full disclosure, Ilya is a good friend of mine. He was actually the last person who I saw before the lockdown. He was in, in Brooklyn giving a uh, speech at a law school. I'll never forget because he wore his Princeton tie. And I told him, you're such a jerk. Like, just wear your Princeton <laughs> tie. Anyway, no, he's Ilya's fantastic. Um, and yeah, yeah, I mean, look, you're absolutely right. I mean, they, they had pulled out the fainting couches and had the coloring books and the puppies and, you know, I guess you know, whatever they need. Um to calm themselves down when somebody sends a tweet that they don't like. Uh, but yeah, calling, screaming for Intifada and, 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 and screaming for the genocide of Jews is, is apparently fine. But I think we, we need to look at this word genocide importantly though in the other context, which is when they were, when they're accusing Israel and Jews of genocide, first of all, it's nonsense. Like, I mean, it, it, it's just an absurd charge that's not based in reality. But the reason that they use it is because what is the limit as to how you're allowed to fight genocide? The answer is there isn't, right? The only way that you can justify what happened on October 7th is by saying that we're fighting against genocide. When you're fighting against genocide, you can drop a nuclear bomb. When you're fighting against genocide, there are no rules whatsoever. And that's what these people are really saying, is that there are no rules. It's, it's their way or they'll blow us up. I feel strongly that all of these protesters would still be out there even if Israel hadn't responded at all. They'd still be saying these slogans, protesting against Israel. They're using Israel's response to the terrorist attack on it as an excuse, in my view, to give voice to their hatred of Israel and in most cases of Jews. They're, they're using it as an excuse. Israel was attacked. What country in the world would not attack back? As you pointed out earlier, they seem to be objecting that Israel's winning. <laughs> right. You know, and no one, no one looks at dead children on either side, at least no one who's sane, and says, yeah, that's great. No one's saying that. But we're, I think most of us who are paying attention to this understand that the dead children on the Palestinian side unfortunately lost their lives because of the Palestinians, because of Hamas, who placed them in danger and continue to intentionally. So th these people are not honest brokers on the street with these chants. They know all that. They just refuse to acknowledge it. They, and why? Because they have a different agenda. And I would submit it is Jew hatred, which is spreading. It's spreading and it's becoming more open. And that leads me to Vancouver. So there was an incident. This happened on November 12th, but it is just making the rounds online, and it is disturbing. Um, it, we have a bit of a longer clip on it. Hold on, I want to make sure that I have the... Um, here it is. Okay, it was on Vancouver Transit. And you know I have two producers up there in Canada, so sometimes we get a beat on these stories um, and the, the fallout from them. You'll hear these people shouting, uh, somebody yelling, shame on you, genocide. And then the response supporting television, or terrorism, not television, and the man responds with, and you'll hear it, you fucking Jew. It goes from there. Watch it. Here's the longer clip, you guys. We'll longer clip, saw 13. I promise you. You know that Hazard was actually free You guys are terrorist supporters. You are terrorist supporters. You are terrorist supporters. You are free Palestine will never die! Palestine will never die! From the river 
And there it was, genocide supporter, you effing Jew, you effing Jew. They're saying this stuff out loud in the open in front of others. There's no shame, you guys. It's We've just crossed over into very dark, new, dangerous territory. Sadly, not new historically. No, uh, it's not at all. These are old hatreds that have been around for a very, very long time. And they're, you know, the... It's a fascinating thing to watch this play out because really what we're seeing is explicitly what Hamas was desiring. The, you know, they, when they go into yeah. Israel and they attack and rape and behead children and live stream murders of grandmothers to their family's Facebook page, when they do things like that, that's not like trying to take over the Donbas region, right? Like this, they're not trying to gain land uh, in, in Israel uh, with that particular attack. It was to incite a response from Israel, who obviously had to take that response. That was the appropriate action. But they knew that they would have these allies around the world that would rise up and not look at what they did, not care about what they did. Uh, they would just go and side with the Palestinians no matter what. I mean, Dave's point is great here. I mean, talking about how genocide is used specifically to justify anything is exactly what they're doing. But I think in a way, they even went farther than that. I mean, we've all had that, that theoretical conversation at some point in our lives. If you went back in time, would you kill baby Hitler or whatever? Would you stop a dictator like that from all these terrible things they were doing? No one has the conversation, if we went back in time, would you rape Hitler? Like that's not, even in the concept of genocide, yeah. rape as a weapon is completely out of bounds. And yet, they are somehow the humanitarian side of this argument. I, it blows the mind uh, of any, I think, rational person who, who would see Israel's actions as completely and obviously justified. I mean, even after 9-11, most of the world saw it our way. Like, we have to, of course, do something. There's been you know, fractures of that throughout the years. But at the beginning, people were pretty much on our side. Israel didn't get the benefit of the doubt on that. They, they had, what, two days before people started saying they were committing genocide? It's mm -hmm. horrific, and it, it continues. So this is a good point. And I heard Jim Garrity on National Review making this point yesterday about we talked about how they kicked out Santos. You know, he was a Republican, ostensibly, uh, who never met a lie he didn't want to tell. And um, they kicked him out. And he was doing some other bad stuff too. He was an unethical guy. But uh, Representative Jayapal, we played her yesterday from Washington State. Mm, the sexual violence really needs to be contextualized, you know? Because she wanted to both sides it. You have to contextualize them gang raping women, eight, nine different men, to the point where the women are begging to just be put out of their misery. Yeah, that's a two side situation. You gotta, she's got her job for life. How does that woman? She'll get reelected and reelected. How does she stay in Congress? How does Congress not throw her ass out? But Santos, I'm not defending him. I'm just saying her sin's far worse than his. Here is our team translated, like did the voices because it's, um, I think, in Hebrew. 
a female eyewitness describing the rape uh, scene in Israel. We've talked about it on the show before, but here's an eyewitness, which, hello, folks who are supporting Hamas in the, in the law, we would call this evidence, because we keep hearing there's no evidence of any of the sexual violence. Sada Levin. The situation where they laid a woman down, and I understand that he is raping her. He was basically shifting her position. And then they passed her to another person. Was she alive, the girl they raped? Yes, she was alive. She stood on her feet? She stood on her feet. She was bleeding. She was bleeding from her back. He's pulling her hair. She had long hair. He's pulling her hair. He's like, um... She's not dressed. And he cuts her breasts. When he cuts her breast, he throws it on the road. They are playing with it. And she's going like this with her head back. I'm sorry, these are barbarians. The, the, these are sick, sick subhuman operatives. And there's no solution here other than to kill them. That's, that's what needs to happen for the violence to end. Yeah, let's, People who did that need to clear. die. If you're if you're calling for a permanent ceasefire today, that's what you support, because Hamas has promised to do it again. They have said we will do this again and again and again. So if your position on December 6th, 2023, is that Israel should just pack up, move back, stop fighting back at all, that's what you support and you need to own it. And and it's it's. It's disgusting, and I can't believe that there are so many people in our country who do support that. And I'm not going to pretend that they don't anymore. There's no, there's no middle ground here. It's not. It, there's no gray area. As you said, Megan, those people need to be killed. Full stop. That's not, That's the only way. I mean, tell it to the White House interns and Representative Jayapal and the squad, Stu, who. Have they said anything about, I mean, Jayapal was forced by Dan Abash of CNN to comment on the sexual violence used as a tool of war. She didn't want to do it. And then when she finally did it, she screwed it up. And even she's now been forced to be like, oh, no, Hamas is ter- terrible. I, I said that, you know, I, sexual violence is bad. Bullshit. We, we understood what she was trying to say the first time around. But they're all slow to condemn this. They, I, I can't believe that they're OK with what we just heard. But they're really quick to just turn away, really quick to say, let's move on. Yeah, it's hard to even talk after hearing that clip. That's so disturbing. And it's fascinating to see how they are reacting. I mean, think of think back to, you know, I don't know, the Me Too era for a second. I mean, there was obviously a lot of good. Some people who were really awful were held accountable uh, during that period. And and that's a really positive thing. But there were also a lot of people who like made jokes and uh, and had uh, you know bad dates, and these things were turned into international incidents. Where here we're supposed to ignore the actual international incident that is going on when you're talking about sexual violence being used this way. I mean, I I don't know. I I, I feel like I don't understand the world sometimes. You know, when I was a, when I was a kid, you'd see the videos of you know people with different um, water fountains, and you'd look back at like this period of racism, and you'd say, how is that even possible? What an an idiotic thing to judge people based on the color of their skin. And, and I think until fairly recently, I, I undersold the idea that 
that anti-Semitism was, was as active as it is in the United States. I don't think I understood it. I knew it was active around the world. I, I, I knew it was a real thing. I knew these old hatreds don't go away at some level. But I am shocked to see how people gathering in the thousands, tens of thousands in the West and, and justifying these things and, and saying the same types of stuff that you saw in Charlottesville, which everybody that I know on the right immediately denounced. We can't get those words out of uh, anyone seemingly on the left these days. And I, the fact that these hatreds still exist and, and can this stuff can be justified is so objectively dumb. Like, I, 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 I can't even it's hard to even pick apart intellectually because it's such a idiotic viewpoint. If, if you're basing these things on you know, racial and anti-Semitic tropes that you've, I don't know, learned on the internet or have been taught in major universities, you need to rethink your life because you're doing life wrong. Mm. It's, it's amazing. I mean, Hamas hit the gold mine because they launched their disgusting terrorist attack just at the time when this, as you said, Dave, oppressor, oppress, oppressee narrative had taken over the West. And I don't know that Hamas had calculated that in when predicting what kind of support it might get. I think they just want to kill Jews, you know, period. Like, it's, it's all a bonus if they get extra support. But man, they timed it so right because you look at that Gallup poll, we talked about it yesterday that comes out, and the Democratic Party has totally shifted on this issue. It's been happening for a while, but it has totally shifted on this issue. They, they are on the Palestinian side. They do not support Israel, especially the young Democrats and black Democrats. Um, I think it was 64%. And I think that actually may have just, yeah, 64% say they're on the side of the Palestinians. And I think on both of those numbers, I'll pull them back up. But it was alarming. Let me take a quick, quick break, and then I'll pick it back up there on the backside of this. Dave and Stu, stay with us. Hey, everyone. It's me, Megan Kelly. Mark your calendars. News Nation, Sirius XM, December 6th in a live primetime event. The News Nation Republican primary debate. Sirius XM's Megan Kelly returns to the moderator's seat. I'll ask the questions you want to hear. Real issues, tough questions, every contender. Because if you want to be the leader of the free world, you better be ready to give America the answers they're looking for. Live from the University of Alabama, the News Nation Republican primary debate. Moderated by Sirius XM's Megan Kelly and News Nation's Elizabeth Vargas. December 6th, 8 p.m. Eastern. Watch it on News Nation, America's fastest growing cable news network. Find News Nation on your screen at joinnn.com or listen on Sirius XM Triumph's Channel 111. Go to SiriusXM.com slash MKShow to subscribe and get three months free. Offer details apply. The News Nation Republican primary debate. See you on the debate stage. To find News Nation on your TV, go to joinnn.com. Hi, I'm Nick. I'm getting married today. I'm also a firefighter and first responder. When you move over and slow down, you're making sure I can make it to my ceremony to start the next chapter of my life. When you see flashing lights, remember, they're not just roadside workers. Thank you for moving over and slowing down. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, They'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. So my team refreshed me on the Gallup poll. It really is shocking. 
Um, solid majorities of Republicans, men, adults 55 and older, and whites, white adults at least, approve of Israel's military actions in Gaza. However, more than six out of 10 Democrats, so it's six out of 10 Democrats, 67% of people, not just Democrats, 67% of people under 35, 64% people of color, 52% of women disapprove of Israel's actions in Gaza. It's amazing how these groups have been brainwashed into thinking Israel's the devil. I mean, it's just stunning. It's been a stunning propaganda video uh, or victory for Hamas. They use videos. We saw the video the other day of, do you see the video of the Hamas or the, the Palestinian person comforting their hurt baby? And it was a doll, right? It was a very obviously a doll where they're like, the, the camera got a little too close and you could see it's a doll. We're supposed to feel bad that Israel allegedly killed. So it is a propaganda war as much as a real one. All right, let me move on to a couple of other things. There's a climate summit going on over in Dubai. Have you guys been watching any of this? I'm oh, riveted yes. by it. Yep. <laughs> and, um, and let me guess, they're all flying uh, commercial and conserving as much green energy as possible. Do I have it right? Mm, you nailed it, as usual, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, whenever so the they hypocrites get are together planes, again, still. Yeah. I, now, first, they have to get the planes unfrozen from the tarmac. When that happens, which did happen in Germany, private plane frozen to the tarmac so they couldn't go to COP28. The climate conference, um, you know, when that's going on, they get they get to be uh, hypocrites and they can fly over there. I mean, do we have we all there were these same people were telling us we had to stay inside and, and educate our five year olds through Zoom. They can't do a climate conference through Zoom. I don't. Why did they all have to be in Dubai right. for this? They do this every year. But I'll tell you, that wasn't the biggest news coming out of the climate change situation. Um, we saw in the New York Post the other day this exclusive where there's a real question about John Kerry, our climate czar, um, fighting against the greenhouse gases, left a little of his own. Now, I, I, I ask you, you're the perfect guest for this. I'm sorry, but Debbie Murphy really wanted to get this story on. Was this or was this not an incident involving some gas in the middle of John Kerry's remarks? Take a listen. More coal-fired power plants permitted anywhere in the world. I find myself getting more and more militant because I do not understand how adults who are in position of responsibility can be avoiding responsibility for taking away those things that are killing people on a daily basis. And, and the reality is that um, the climate crisis and the health crisis are one and the same. <laughs> Dave? Did you hear? Did you need to hear it again? They've isolated it. Here, we'll play it. Just the isolated part. Can be avoiding responsibility for taking away those things that are killing people on a daily basis. And and the reality <laughs> is that okay. Megan, you're, you're killing you me. But last, no, last time it was Judge Erdogan or whatever his name is, naked that you made us look at. <laughs> now you're making us listen to John Kerry pass gas. It's I a mean, very classy say, show, Marcus. All right, very classy. Mm -hmm. I will say it is probably the smartest thing that I've ever heard from him. And it's a lot wiser <laughs> than his words. Um, <laughs> no, it's it's unbelievable. This guy, it, it, you know, substantively, he says, well, what we have to do is we have to stop. Um, we have to stop digging for coal right now. All of it. Like, no, no more, no more coal. 
I live in a place called West Virginia. I would invite John Kerry to come here to West Virginia and explain to the good people uh, whose whole state economy is based on coal. Oh, you don't get to do that anymore. What's John think we're going to do here? I, I mean, it, it's it's complete and utter lunacy. And and these frauds run all over the world, as you say, in their private jets. And they say, well, you know, you have to make sacrifices, put on a sweater. Like, screw you, John. I know. Right. He's not going to have to suck anything up as he flies in his private jet at his Tony home in Massachusetts. Still, he'll be fine. He can he can be just a, as much of a windbag out of both ways as he wants. He's not going <laughs> to suffer the consequences of the policies he's trying to shove down the throats of the West Virginians. Uh, very, very true. Although I don't, I don't know if Dave and I need to form a union here, but why are we the perfect guests to talk about John <laughs> Kerry's fart? Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I it's feel Debbie like, Murphy's fault. It's not my fault. Debbie Murphy said. I thought she was so referring I... to you, Stu. But I'm, I... <laughs> she went to you first, I do what Dave. She tells That's me. true. <laughs> well, listen. I really just use that as an excuse to set up my. Um, my my the premiere of my movie my my TV show that I'm a star of I don't know if you if you heard mm. but I I've gone Hollywood guys um, and I think in our in our cartoon Mr Burcham which is going to be airing exclusively on the Daily Wire Plus we're going to have humor like this we're not above it I think I've just proven that and it's Adam Carolla's idea and character that he's been doing for years Mr Burcham he's this non woke shop teacher who just doesn't understand the world around him in you know modern day America. And uh, the trailer officially dropped. I told my audience I would run it. It's super entertaining. Take a listen. Tell me what you need. Jumping in the first one. Rolling, speed, action. Sawbuck's looking a little chubby wubby. So I bought him some new food. It's organic and vegan. Dogs are supposed to eat meat. They're descendants of wolves. You ever see a vegan wolf on the Nature Channel? I'm a vegan. Coffee is for closers, ladies. Listen up. Hey, don't make this a prison hug. Don't do anything stupid. Earthen last year. I'm a heteronormative, cisgender, white male. For which I apologize. I'm black, and that used to be enough. But I'm also bilingual, and I'm non-binary. We're the Army. We drink more before 9 a.m. than you Navy pukes do all day. He rubbed all the fur off his emotional support ferret. The damn thing looked like a four-legged penis. Charity and work. Two words that should never go together. Like women and opinions. I want a burly man. They're salty and make me dizzy. Sorry, just need to find a thingy to fix my gaming chair. When I was on the construction site, my chair was a five-gallon bucket. It was also my toilet. <laughs> hey, I'm done. I'm going back to bed. Thanks a lot. <laughs> All right, it's coming out this spring. Go register at the Daily Wire Plus now, and you will be able to watch all the episodes. What did you guys think of the trailer? That looks awesome. Congrats. Have you have you seen the, the final product yet, Megan? No, I've seen bits and pieces. It's, so you do the voiceover? It's gonna, it's, it, I, back in my old days as an actor, I did a little bit of voiceover work, and yeah. it, it's it's so crazy, like, the, you know, a couple months later or whenever it is, and then you see it. It's it's a very weird experience. Like there's your voice in this character, and that's so cool. That must have been a lot. That must have been a blast. It was so fun, and you, so you you know we kind of just tape the audio, and then they marry it together with the other actors, <laughs> air quotes for those listening, uh, audio, and then they put it together with the amazing you know p pictures and, and graphics that the that the cartoonists that the artists are doing. 
my character is Wendy. She's married to Adam uh, Bircham. And uh, she's like, she's definitely a lefty, unlike yours truly. And I, her, one of her best friends is Candace Owens' character. And so she and I have some scenes together. The whole thing is so fun, you guys. I have to tell you, I, I really just did this because Adam asked me to, and I love Adam. But I, I was like, I, this is not my thing. Like, I'm usually pretty good at knowing what my thing is. And they were like, just try it, just try it. It was so fun. It was so fun, Stu. I was like, I cracked up. I was crying when I saw the scripts and I saw like the other guy's parts. That guy, Kyle Dunnigan, who plays my son, he just had a small clip there, is one of the funniest people I've ever heard. <laughs> All these guys, like Tyler Fisher, the one who was like the super woke DEI guy who was like apologizing for his white cis heteronormative stuff. Anyway, there's so much goodness for our side, you know, like a side of normalcy that doesn't get offended at everything. It's just refreshing to be a part of something like that. And there's such fertile ground for it, too. I mean, that just sounds amazing. You got a great, you could tell an all-star cast there. And, you know, there's such fertile ground, so much room that the people on the left who would normally do this, like they would be the people making fun of all the craziness in our society. They've abandoned this ground. And it's important for conservatives to actually be active in this ground. I know Daily Wire is doing a good job with this. We're doing a lot of this at The Blaze as well. And it's one of those situations where the best part about it is not that we're being active in this world, is that we're getting people who don't suck to do it. Adam Carolla is legitimately funny. I don't care who you are. He's been successful before woke was a thing. He's always been really funny you bring someone like that in there with a obviously a really talented cast yeah roseanne right like someone who's a legendary comedian and you put these people together i mean some of the voices in there they're all recognizable for the most part so i mean just it's really cool that this is happening and i feel like you know maybe this is the way this stuff finally gets turned around if i can just throw one thing in though the one piece of the puzzle that we don't have yet that i think that we need is the development of talent um it, young actors, screenwriters, these talented people, the, the left completely owns all of the mm-hmm. places that they go to school, all of the places where they learn their craft. So, you know, it, it's good to have these top line projects, but I think conservatives need to do a better job um, developing this talent. And Megan, Amen. I just wanted to say, you know, yeah. break a leg tonight. You're going to be great, kid. Yeah. It's gonna oh, be awesome. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Great to have you. Thanks for coming on. Don't forget the GOP debate is tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern in our post-debate spin room special. 10 p.m. Eastern on SiriusXM on YouTube. Don't forget to tune in. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. Hi, I'm Josie. My daughter turns five today. I'm also an Ohio State Highway Patrol trooper. When you move over and slow down, you're making sure I can get home to celebrate with my daughter. When you see flashing lights, remember, they're not just roadside workers. Thank you for moving over and slowing down. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, They'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel.